Thank you so much. I'm, uh, I'm so glad they danced. They were, those first two songs, I thought, I haven't seen this yet. What's going on here? You may be seated. Uh, I don't know if I should tell this story, Freddie, but I'm going to anyway, because I think you trust me and I trust you. Freddie, um, Freddie had a pretty tragic thing happen to him in the past year. He and his wife uh, lost a baby. And they, uh, they had their funeral here at the bridge. Um, it was on a Sunday night. And um, that was my first real immersion into the, the culture, the Congolese culture and the culture of Gizubizo. Uh, and I just felt so honored that uh, they were able to do that here as members of our church, that they could uh, do that here. But I also just felt honored to be a part of what happened that night um, because it was not uh, like any funeral I'd ever been to. Uh, And at one point, Freddie got up um, on the platform and uh, he said that after David in the Bible lost his son, uh, he mourned. And then after a time of mourning, he washed his face, he changed his clothes, and he said, I want to dance before the Lord. Uh, And Freddie danced that night. Freddie, it's, it's a powerful thing to know Freddie, and it's a powerful thing to get to be part of uh, what's happening with Gizubizo, and I'm just so thankful, guys, that you're here. Yeah. We are, yeah. I just feel blessed. Blessed, blessed, blessed. All right. I'm not going to preach too long, guys. It's been a full morning. You can laugh. I always preach long. No. <laughs> We're going to trim as we go. This page is gone. Um, this morning, we are continuing our series, uh, Living on God's Time, and we've been moving our way through the Old Testament, through the story of God's people, uh, what we've called the lineage of our faith, the lineage of our story, because we today, this morning, are God's people. And so we've been moving through the story, we've been going through uh, the Old Testament, and two weeks ago, we talked about the kingdom of Israel and how it fractured, how it broke in two. And I know a lot of you were here, and so you're wondering why I'm going through all this again, because this is going to be very important to today's topic. So here we go. Uh, The kingdom of Israel fractured into a northern and a southern kingdom. Uh, And uh, last week we looked at how the Assyrian Empire came in and they conquered the uh, southern, northern, the northern kingdom. Assyria came and conquered the northern kingdom. They carried the northern kingdom away into exile, and, uh, and the northern kingdom was gone. The way that the Assyrians conquered nations was that they took people out of their homes, they took people out of their homelands, and they spread them out across the Assyrian Empire. And so that had the, uh, the effect of destroying people's culture, destroying people's heritage, and then assimilating them into the Assyrian Empire. So that is what happened last week. And, uh, and the reason that the northern kingdom was judged by God, we looked at uh, in the book of Amos and in the book of Hosea, and the reasons were because uh, of injustice, because of violence, because of idolatry, uh, because the, the lowest in the society were being mistreated by the highest in society. There was a rampant worship of pagan gods. It was, a, it was a huge mess. And if you go and read the book of Amos or the book of Hosea, those are prophets to the northern kingdom. And you can read why uh, things turned out the way that they did for the northern kingdom. Why eventually their bad decisions led to negative consequences. And so you would think that in that kind of a context that maybe the southern kingdom could watch what the northern kingdom was doing and maybe learn a lesson. Maybe the southern kingdom could watch what was happening to their brothers and sisters to the north and think uh, it didn't seem to work out well for them. 
to live in these ways. It didn't seem to work out well for them to uh, live with injustice and oppression and idolatry and all these different kinds of things. Maybe we should clean up our act. And if you thought that, uh, you'd think wrong because the southern kingdom did not do that. The southern kingdom did not uh, do that at all. Uh, They failed to learn from the northern kingdom's mistakes. And so if you read uh, some of the other prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, some of the minor prophets, uh, you'll see the words that were spoken by God to the members of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And they were going through the very same things that the northern kingdom had gone through. Uh, They were imbalances in power in the culture. There was idolatry. There was violence. It was terrible, terrible thing. And so what happened is, Uh, A couple hundred years after what happened to the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom was also taken into exile. Now, that's a Bible word, exile, uh, but it's a a good word for us to keep in mind because that's how uh, it's talked about in Scripture, and that's how the people of God understood themselves, that they had been taken away into exile. Not that they were conquered, but that they were exiled. And so the southern kingdom goes into exile, but a key difference is they were taken into exile by the nation of Babylon. Babylon. So at this time, the Assyrian Empire had kind of gone down in power, and uh, the Babylonian Empire was ascending in power. And if you took, like, crazy history classes in college, maybe you learned about this. Uh, But, you know, it's like the world powers are going back and forth. And at this time in history, Babylon was the world power. And so Babylon came in, and they conquered the southern kingdom. And it's important that we see that it was Babylon, not Assyria, because Babylon did things very differently. Instead of taking people and scattering them out, instead of taking people and taking them away from their families and away from their cultures and scattering them around, Babylon took people into exile as a group. And that meant that the people of God, the people of Israel, were able to retain what made them unique. They were able to retain a sense of culture, a sense of identity as unique people. They were not scattered about. They didn't lose their culture, their religion, their identity. They were still able to be unique. And that is important context for our passage this morning. We're going to get into the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom. And Jeremiah prophesied all the way up until the time of exile. So he started prophesying before the Babylonians took over, and he prophesied all the way through the Babylonians, taking the southern kingdom into exile. And it happened in waves. There was a few different waves of people being carried away into Babylon. And uh, Jeremiah was a prophet to those people as they went. And that should be enough context for us to understand what's happening today in our passage. This comes out of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. It says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people. Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, the skilled, uh, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted this letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gamaria, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. I, apo- I apologize to Sherry this week. <clears throat> so many names. The good stuff. Here's what the letter said. This is what the letter says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is the word of the Lord. So, um, I've talked about before how my two-year-old son, Abram, is a little bit mischievous. All my kids are mischievous, but he's kind of like, he's in that territory right now. And it used to be that with Abram, if he was off doing something a little bit mischievous, you know, finger painting an Alfredo sauce or something, uh, I could just say, Abram, like that. And he would burst into tears and run to me and hug me. That's all it took, was a stern word from dad. Uh, and, and so that's what I would do. I'd just say, Abram. And then, you know, it would seem to fix the problem. Uh, now, that does not work. Uh, he hears, Abram. And he looks at me like this. Like, he's just so cute that he's learned to leverage it uh, to get out of things. And the, the, the terrible thing is it works on my wife. It, she cannot... Uh, she cannot handle the cuteness of Abram. It's too much for her to handle. And so uh, we give him the stern word and all we get is the mischievous grin. And then it's suddenly like, continue painting with Alfredo sauce. You know, what could go wrong? That's fine. Uh, but he's become immune in some ways, right, to the, to the strength of the words. Uh, this passage, Jeremiah 29, and, uh, and we didn't get to the most famous of the verses, right? Chapter uh, 29, verse 11. But this whole passage is kind of one of those passages that maybe if you've been around church or even if, if you've just been around Christian culture for a while, you've heard a couple times. Maybe you've heard it a lot. Uh, and especially around election season, this passage will get brought out because people will uh, want to say, look, we're supposed to be involved and engaged. And look, this says that we should be involved and engaged, right? And so uh, I think what happens is if we hear a passage too many times, if, we, if, we, uh, if we're exposed to a passage too many times, it's almost like the stern word to Abram and it can start to lose its power. Uh, it can start to lose kind of the, the uniqueness of it. And so I want to just stop for a second and say that this passage was revolutionary. Uh, the, the, the people of Israel, the people of God who had been carried away into Babylon, to them, the words of this letter, the words of Jeremiah, the words of God to them would have been absolutely unthinkable. It would have been revolutionary to them because the Babylonians were their enemies. The Babylonians were not uh, good people. The Babylonians were not the kind of people that the people of God wanted to be around. They didn't want to be exposed to that. They didn't want to pray for the prosperity of the city. God is saying, be with your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Work for the prospering of your enemies. And that was pretty revolutionary to the people of God. And I think that's still revolutionary to us today. God is not asking them to just give a cup of sugar to a kind old neighbor He's asking them to actively work for and pray for and help the people that they perceived as their enemies. And that's revolutionary, but it really shouldn't be that surprising. It shouldn't be that surprising because God has always expected his people to be a blessing to the world around them. That has always been God's expectation from the moment that he pulled Abram 
out and turned him into Abraham, from the moment that he established a people group on the earth, he has been doing so for the sake of being a blessing to the nations. That's what he told Abraham. He said, I will make you a blessing to the nations. This is what he expected from Abraham, and it's what he expected from the nation that he formed after they left Egypt. The circumstances have changed for God's people. Uh, They are finding themselves in uncharted territory as people of the exile. Their circumstances have changed, but their mission remained the same. God's people were always and are still today intended to be a blessing to the world around them. And that involves becoming engaged and active in the communities we find ourselves in. It it involves engaging with people around us. It involves being actively involved in the life of our neighborhoods that God has placed us in, the cities that God has placed us in, the counties, the states, whatever. We're supposed to be involved in the lives and and in the cultural life of the world around us. All of that is good, and it's what God wants from us. Because we can't be a blessing to the world if we have pulled ourselves completely out of the world. We can't, uh, we can't be part of the prospering and the flourishing of the cities and the communities that we're in if we are always pulling ourselves out of those places. And so God has called us to be involved, to plant gardens, to buy houses, to marry and have our children married off, to increase in the land for the prospering of the land. But, but... Doing that also comes with a particular temptation. And the temptation is that we forget that we are part of God's story. We forget that we are part of God's people. We forget that we're on God's mission. And as we engage in the world and as we get involved in the world, we very easily can fall into the patterns of the world. So there's two things happening here. God is calling us to live in and among the world, to pray for the prospering of the cities, to be part of the civic life of the cities, but God also, it seems, is telling us not to fall into the patterns of the world. Now, um, we have a lot of children's Bibles in my house, Uh, too many different varieties of children's Bibles, really, Uh, and I went through them this week, and what I found was that every single one of those Bibles has the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den. I think even if you've never been to church in your whole life, you probably know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. It's just, and because it's a vivid story, right? It's a vivid, there's this guy and he gets thrown into a pit of lions. We don't have pits of lions around. Like, what, you know, just the story itself is like, where did these lions even come from, man? Uh, but he gets thrown in this pit of lions. And, uh, and for parents, for me at least, I want to tell my children this story because it talks about the power of God. How powerful is God? More powerful than a pit of lions. If you're like seven years old, that's pretty extreme, you know, like a pit of lions, that's pretty bad. God is more powerful than that. And so we want to tell this story. God comes through for Daniel. God is more powerful. But we have to remember also why Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. We have to remember why Daniel's story goes that way. And Daniel's, uh, the beginning of Daniel's story is that he was one of these exiles. The beginning of Daniel's story is that he was carried out of Israel into Babylon. So Jeremiah writes this letter. Daniel is the uh, audience of this letter. Daniel is one of these people. And Daniel has been carried out into exile in Babylon. And he goes about making himself useful for the city. Daniel goes about praying for the king, praying for the city. He goes about uh, living for the flourishing and the prospering of the community that he's in, right? This is what Daniel is doing. He is like the king's right-hand man. He works his way up uh, through the ranks of the palace because he is engaged 
for the life of Babylon. He is working for his enemies and he's working hard, right? He's following what God has told him to do in this situation. But then something happens. The king decides to make a law that you can only pray to the king. Uh, And he's kind of tricked into it. If you know the story, his wise men come and they've got a scheme going on. But he makes a law because he thinks that sounds pretty good. You know, he's an ego guy. And he makes this law. And so uh, Daniel has to make a decision. Am I going to live by the law of God or am I going to live in the patterns of this world? And in Daniel, we see this tension. In Daniel, we see this tension that exists between living for the prospering of the city, living for the flourishing of the city, and living according to God's laws and patterns, even as we're engaged in the world. And it's, a, and it's a tension that plays out over a lot of different characters, but I thought Daniel especially was interesting because he is literally one of the recipients of Jeremiah's letter. He is living in that place, that tension between the worlds. And so we are called to live in that tension. We are called to be unique and different. We are called to be set apart from the world for the sake of blessing the world. And so as we're set apart, we're called to go in. And it's a paradox. And paradox creates tension. And we're always going to have to live in that tension. We're going to have to live in that space where we're wondering, do I do this? Do I say this? Do I buy this? What, what can I be engaged in? When, what can I not be engaged in? In what ways am I moving toward myself instead of toward God? In what ways am I living into like the consumer mindset of America instead of living into the kingdom mindset of God? We're always living in this tension because we're called to be engaged but also called to be a part. So this morning, what I want to leave us with, what I want to leave us with this morning is a litmus test. Not a litmus test. A question maybe that we can ask. And it's a question that I think comes out of our text today. If we look at the passage in Jeremiah, we find this deeper question to ask ourselves. God tells his people, build houses, plant gardens, have children. And then he says something that I think we need to focus on when we are making our own decisions in this tension space of are we engaging in the world or are we engaging in God's world? God tells his people to seek the peace and prosperity of the city they are in. And that, I think, can be our question. And here it is. Are my actions, are my attitudes, are my, uh, are my purchasing powers, are my, uh, are, are my attitudes, you know, the way that I'm engaging the world, is it for the prosperity of my community or is it for my prosperity? Is it so that Uh, is it so that the world can be blessed or is it so that I can be blessed? And I think that's the question that will keep us moving toward God's kingdom instead of toward the patterns of this world. That we are living not for our own blessing and our own prosperity. That's what the world will tell us to do. That's the pattern of the world. But instead we are living for the prosperity of the communities that we are in. And what's beautiful is that God actually tells us If you do that, you will also have peace and prosperity. If you live for the prosperity of the city and the community that you're in, if you're engaged not for your own sake but for the sake of your community, then you will experience joy. You will experience a peace that uh, can't be understood. That's what this prosperity means for us. That's what it means for us to experience peace and prosperity. And God says that if you are focused outwardly, if you're focused into your communities for the sake of your communities, instead of for your own sake, you will experience this prosperity and peace as well. And so that's my prayer for us this morning.
that we would be fully engaged and also fully strange. That's going to be easier for some of us than others. Um, Some of us are just stranger. But that's my prayer, is that we would be fully engaged in our communities and also fully strange. That we would be fully active in in the places that we have been placed, but also fully active in the kingdom of God. That we would not fall prey to the patterns of this world, but that we would be set apart as people. That we would be the hands and feet of Jesus and that we would be agents of God's love in the world, just as Daniel was, just as the people of God were in Babylon. That's my prayer for us, that we would be that this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you that you have set us apart, that you have called us out, that you have made us unique, that you have given us a strangeness, God but that you don't ask us to be all of those things in a way that cloisters us or hides us, God, but that you have put us right in the middle of the thick of it to bless the world, to be set apart, to be fully engaged, to be unique, to be active, to live in this tension and this paradox, God. And I pray this morning that we would find the answers to our questions of Are our decisions honoring to you or are they only honoring to ourselves? That we would find the answer to that question by asking the question, is this for my community or is this for myself? Is this because I love my neighbor or is this so that I can have comfort or rest or whatever it is, God? God, I thank you for the blessing that it's been to host Gizubizo here, for the blessing that it's been to fill uh, this church with different types of people and two different bodies and yet all one body this weekend, God. What a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God that we have gotten to live into. Thank you for Freddie and for everything he's doing. I pray that you bless us as we go out this week. In your name, amen.